I'm going to ask you, if you would, turn with me to two texts tonight, if you don't mind. Uh, the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 13. And you could stick your marker there if you like, and then turn with me to the passage that uh, Joseph uh, read there in Romans 8. While you're turning, let me say that it's uh, good to see Brother David Pledger and Pat and Winna here tonight. Uh, back um, in July of last year, um, David sent me a, an email and uh, about an article that I wrote, and we got to corresponding there, and David told me that in all his years as a pastor, he'd never seen a time when people were more afraid, even professing believers. And I most definitely, most definitely agreed with him then and even more so now. And it's important for every believer to understand that the Scriptures declare that fear is the opposite of faith. Uh, faith and fear can never occupy the same space. When you think about that, that's so, isn't it? If you're fearing, you're not believing God. And if you're believing God, and you're not usually fearing. Paul told Timothy, he said, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. David, the psalmist said, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord Jesus said, I'll never leave thee for, nor forsake thee. You know, I think about that. I just love to dwell on that. Our Lord and Savior will never leave us, never forsake us, so that we may boldly say with Paul, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man can do unto me. Knowing that God is on our side and our helper and everything, we should never fear or what anyone or anything can do unto us. Why? Because God is out to do us good. He's out to do us good. What peace I find in knowing that. How about you? I find great peace in knowing that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. As we read here in Romans chapter 8. Look at it with me again. And we know, we know these things. A believer knows them. <clears throat> that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called. Don't you like that title? The called according to His purpose. All things work together for the believer's good because it's our Heavenly Father that are work, is working all things out. After assuring us that God Almighty foreknew a people, determined to conform them to the image of, of God's dear Son. Paul continues to comfort God's sheep by telling them that whom God did foreknow, He predestinated. And those that He predestinated, He called. And those that He called, He justified. And in the end, God glorifies His elect people. What assurance we find in that passage. Salvation's of the Lord, isn't it? In verse 31, Paul goes on to ask some questions that confirm exactly what I'm trying to say. He says, what shall we say then to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? What should any believer fear if God is for us? If God is for us, who can be against us since everyone and everything is answerable to Him? In verse 32, Paul adds to our confidence and assurance by asking, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, meaning all of God's elect, how shall He not with Him, with Christ, also freely give us all things? Again, God is out to do us good. I love to say that. He is. Then Paul asks three more reassuring questions. First, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justified. Secondly, who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The Lord Jesus sits on the throne. He is God. And he pleads our cause, Gary. Ah. What an amazing thought. Thirdly, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or a pandemic? Who shall charge us with being guilty, deserving of any condemnation and wrath? It's God that justifies. If God justifies us, I can assure you, none can charge us. Who can condemn us of anything? It's Christ that died for us. The perfect one who knew no sin, who was made sin for us. That we might be made what? The righteousness of God in Him. Perfect. Perfect in our Savior. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Well, the answer is nothing or no one. With these things in mind, what is the child of God to fear? Paul then says this, Nay, in all things we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Never forget that. You know, you can know the doctrines of grace forward and backward. You can know the five points of Calvinism till you can recite them word for word better than John Calvin did. But if you don't see that they're all in Christ, that we're elected in Him, He's God's elect, then you've missed. You've missed missed it. You've missed it. Oh, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is. What shall we fear when none of these things mentioned, which includes everything, can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord? Now, have I arrived? No. To my shame, I haven't. And I won't as long as I'm in this body of flesh. But we must strive. We've got to strive to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. May God be pleased to make it so. 
for Christ's sake. Okay, now turn with me to Numbers chapter 13, if you would, please. After God powerfully delivered Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, you remember the story, they encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And during that time, the Lord gave them His law and God gave them the plans for the tabernacle in the wilderness and He gave them instructions for the service of the priesthood and the sacrifices and everything concerning the sacrifices. God led His people, as you know, by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And they were led by God to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And it was there that they stopped. Now, Kadesh Barnea was on the edge of the desert, right on the border of the land that God had promised Abraham so many hundreds of years before. The same land that God said flowed with milk and honey. That land that God had given them, promising them victory over all the enemies who possessed that land. So we pick up the story here in Numbers chapter 13, uh, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan. Now watch this which I give unto the children of Israel. God gave the land to them. I gave unto the children of Israel of every tribe of the fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. So Moses here, he sends 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes, to spy out the land, and they're named for us in verses 4 through 15. I'm not going to even try to pronounce them. I'm not even going to read them. But I do want to draw your attention to verse 6, where it says, Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and in verse 8, of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshia, the son of Nun. In verse 16, we're told that Moses called Oshia, the son of Nun, Jehoshua, or Joshua. And these spies were to stay 40 days and nights. And according to verse 18, the purpose was to see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak or few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities there be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And they were told to be of good courage and to bring the fruit of the land, for it was the time of the first grapes. In verse 25, we see that they returned from the searching of the land after 40 days, just as Moses had told them. And they went and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and showed them the fruit of the land. They begin their report to Moses in verse 27, and this is what they said. They said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. It's just like you said, Lord. You know, it always is, isn't it? Now try to imagine what we're told in verse 23. I've pictured this in my mind so many times. We're told that they cut down one cluster of grapes 
and they had to bear them between two men on a staff to carry them. Now, that's a cluster of grapes, isn't it? What a sight that must have been. The land of promise flowed with the grace and the blessings of God. But then we have the report of the ten of the spies, and the report takes an unbelieving and fearful turn. And that turn begins with the word nevertheless there in verse 28. Nevertheless. As you know, that word nevertheless means however, regardless, or in spite of. Here's here's a a, a good um, synonym of the word, but. But. Everything's going great, but. May God enable us to remember that His Word and His promises are nevertheless. They're nevertheless, but always exactly what He declares them to be. And what they said was, regardless or in spite of the wonderful abundance of the land we also discovered, but the people are strong that dwell in that land. The cities are walled and very great. There are giants in the land. We saw the children of Anak there. I know you know this tonight as same as I do. There's a giant in our land today. Everywhere you look today, you can visibly see the fear that this giant is causing. And this fear exposes men and women's unbelief. Let's just be honest. Remember, fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of trust. Fear and faith cannot occupy the same space. And we see a very good picture of ourselves here in the ten spies. In verse 29, we're given a better understanding of whom and what the ten spies feared. Let me quickly give them to you. First, there were the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the descendants of Esau. They were the first nation and people that came out against Israel after God delivered them out of Egypt. You might remember when they battled with these folks, they held Moses' hands up, and as long as Moses' hands were lifted up, Israel prevailed. But when his hands grew tired and lowered, the Amalekites prevailed. I was thinking when I studied this, what a picture that is of our looking to Christ high and lifted up. When we look to Christ, the exalted one, we have the victory. But when we look in fear at the obstacles and the enemies that we have in this life, we, we lose. No doubt the Amalekites picture the flesh. And as long as we keep our eyes on Christ, high and lifted up, trust Him, the exalted one, we win. Yet when we look to within, when we look to our flesh, when our inability, our frailty, our vulnerabilities, we fail. It's just that simple. Secondly, we have the Hittites. The word Hittite comes from a Hebrew verb that actually means paralyzing fear and terror. You know, it's amazing how names always mean something in the Scripture. 
Um, the word Hittites also means destruction and ruin. The fear of man, the fear of the flesh, the fear of circumstances, the fear of fear. Men fear what they have no control over. If you hadn't figured it out yet, let me tell you something. <laughs> We're not in control of anything. Nothing. So why do we fear anything when God has control over everything? That's something to think about. And it's here that we find true peace and rest, as we sung just a moment ago. It's only in Christ. You know, when I was a young boy, I never worried about anything. I just didn't. You know why? Because my father took care of me. I trusted my father for everything. Uh, I never once worried about what I'd eat what I would drink, what I'd wear, where I would sleep. <laughs> I bet you can say the same thing, Gary. He's a great provider. How much more so is our Heavenly Father? I trusted my Father for, to provide everything that I needed. I took no thought for those things. I had no worries. Well, our Lord said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, is not the, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, and are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Thirdly, we have the Jebusites. <clears throat> the word or the name Jebusite means polluted. We pollute the word of God by our unbelief. Unbelief brings fear. Fear is the pollution behind unbelief. To fear anything is not believing in a God who is sovereign. The Scriptures do not say that Abraham believed in God. The Scriptures don't say that Abraham believed there was a God. The Scriptures say that Abraham believed God. Believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Fourthly, we have the Amorites. The word Amorite means boasting. It means prominence, publicity. It means being famous and important. What a picture that is of us by nature. Men and women by nature think more of themselves than they do of God. And it's the epitome of unbelief and a, a great factor for fear. Looking to self never provides faith, only fear. Then fifthly and lastly, we have the Canaanites. And the word Canaanite means peddler. Found that interesting. Picturing one who buys and sells and 
actually makes merchandise of men and women's souls. What a picture that is of salvation by works. God has promised victory over all our enemies, just as He did Israel over all those enemies in Canaan. Now I want you to look here at verse 30. Here we see something of the man and the woman who walks by faith and not by sight. And I so want this to encourage you tonight. I want it to encourage me. We all need encouragement. In verse 30 we read, And Caleb stilled or calmed the people before Moses. And he said, Let us go up at once and possess the land. Possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. (laughs) Oh, there's so much that we can learn from Caleb. His profession is a good one. In spite of the other's report, Caleb says, let's go up at once. Why wait? Why tarry? Let's go up and possess what God has already given us. For we're well able to overcome it. Was Caleb being presumptuous? After all, ten other spies had a bad report. Much like our news media. huh? They say the the giant we're facing is strong. It's like a walled city that can't be penetrated. We can't go up against it. It's stronger than we are. There's a giant in our land. But Caleb believed God. Do you and I believe God? God promised us that we're able to overcome our enemies. Those around Caleb said, we can't go up against these giants. They're stronger than we are. But Caleb said, they ain't, they're not stronger than our God. Do you see here what God calls the profession of the ten spies? I've read this so many times. never paid any attention to this uh, in verse 32. Moses said, and they brought an evil report of the land which they had searched. Any report that questions what God says is an evil report. It just is. God said in verse 2, Send thou men that they may search the land which I give. God had already given them the land. They just hadn't take possession, taken possession of it yet. But it was their land. It was a land that flowed with milk and honey. And God doesn't lie. If God promised they would take the land, then they would take the land. And beloved, are are we going to believe God? Or are we going to walk by what we see and by what we're told? Again, verse 32, the ten spies said, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. They said, and all the people that we saw in this land are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Now, did you pay close attention to what they said there in verse 33? They said, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. They saw themselves that way. They didn't see themselves as they really were. They were children of God. They were more than conquerors. But they didn't see themselves that way. 
They saw themselves as defeated. They had forgotten what God had promised them. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Reminds me of that old joke uh, where the guy went to the doctor and he said, Doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor said, Don't do that. Let's believe God. They saw themselves this way and then they determined in their own minds that their enemy saw them that way too. But they didn't. If you remember in the book of Joshua when the two spies stayed in Rahab's house, you remember what Rahab said? She told the spies that she took in, she said, we know that the Lord hath given you the land. Your terror has fallen upon us. We faint because of you. (laughs) For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. We heard about your God. We heard about you. We have heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, old Sihon and Og. We heard what you did to them. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts didn't melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. You can read that in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. You know, Paul said in Hebrews chapter 3, but with whom was God grieved for 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into rest, but to them that what? Believe not. Believe not. So we see that they could not enter into rest because of unbelief. You know, that's a great giant, unbelief. After everything they'd seen, they didn't believe. They didn't enter into God's rest because of unbelief. And God caused the people of Israel to wander 40 years a year for every day that the spies were in the land of Canaan. They'd seen the ten plagues of Egypt. We've seen a lot of great things. They've seen all those plagues, yet not a fly, not a frog, or a friend died in the land of Goshen. No one. They'd seen the death of the firstborn of Egypt, but none died in the land of Goshen. You know why? Yeah, you do. They had the blood of the Passover lamb. And when God sees the blood, He'll pass over you. They had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground while Pharaoh and his army were drowned. They had eaten manna that fell from heaven. They had drank water from a rock that followed them around. They were still being led by the pillar of a cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And now they're ready to enter the land of promise and only two out of the twelve spies believed God. I'm not good at math, but I figured that up. That's just a little over 16%. And wherever you have unbelief, you've got fear. And they feared what man could do to them. And they feared what things 
could do to them. And where there's a high view of man, there's always a, a low view of God. God said, fear not. Now, anything that we fear becomes in our minds and our hearts bigger than God because God is bigger than anything and everything and everyone. Oh, there are giants in the land, but there are no giants to God. None. Who entered into the land of promise? Only two who were over the age of 20 that originally came out of Egypt. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua, as you know, means Savior. Joshua means my help is in Jehovah. Caleb means dog. Some say it means faithful dog. Who's going to enter into the land of promise? Who's going to enter into heaven's glory? Those whose help is in Jehovah and those who are faithful dogs. You know, it was Mephibosheth, the self-confessed dog that ate at the king's table continually. It was that Canaanite woman who agreed with Christ that she was a dog that ate the crumbs from the master's table. There's so much more we could see here in Numbers chapter 14, but look down uh, in chapter 14, look down at verse uh, 23, if you would, please. It says, Surely they, those who feared and believed not, shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. And then look down at verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with spirit with him, and have followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Caleb had another spirit within him. It was a spirit that God put in him. And Caleb the dog followed Christ fully. Oh, for faith to follow him fully. Follow Christ our Lord said, my sheep, follow me. And when they run ahead, they get in trouble. Why do we do that? Those who go before the pillar of the cloud often find themselves in a cloud and cannot see. And those who go before the pillar of fire often find themselves in the fire and perish. We better make sure who we're following. I know this much. A dog follows his master. The Lord said of Caleb the dog, He followed me and He followed me fully. What is it to follow the Lord fully? Well, let me show you in closing. Turn over to Joshua chapter 14 and I'll finish up. This is such a blessing. Joshua chapter 14. Look at verse 6. I'll read a few verses here. Joshua 14, verse 6. Got it? (laughs) Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, 
the son of Jephunel, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Now Caleb's talking to Joshua here. Verse 7, Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. You know, that's where faith is, isn't it? It's in the heart. Verse 8, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou wast holy, thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. And he said, These forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Eighty-five years old. And he said, Yet, as yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now watch this, verse 12. Now therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunel, Jephunel, Hebron, for an inheritance. And Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunel, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. You know, Lot's wife left Sodom, but she looked back. She left Sodom, but her heart didn't. The foolish Galatians were soon removed from Him that called them into the grace of Christ and to another gospel. But old Caleb, he's now 85 years old. He followed the Lord fully and he followed Him wholly until the end. You know, that's where a faithful, that's what a faithful dog does. Follows the Lord to the end. He follows his master to the end. Sheep follow the shepherd. Now turn over a page, you may not have to, and look at Joshua chapter 15, verse 13. And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunel, he gave a part among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron, and Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Shishai and the Hymen and Talmai, the children of Anak. Do you know who those three sons of Anak were? <laughs> they were the same giants that the ten spies feared. Caleb, 85 years old, whooped them, Gary. 
God's dog, now God's attack dog, drove them out in defeat. Now let me say this in closing there. Friends, there's always going to be giants in our life. The giant of sin, the giant of Satan, the giant of self. That's a big one, isn't it? The giant of death, the giant of the grave. But by the grace and mercy of God, we'll always be victorious if we follow the Lord as Caleb did fully. And we trust in Christ alone. And let me say this. I like being God's dog. I do. And I am by His grace going to follow my Master, trusting Him. And because of that, I'm going to strive not to live in fear and unbelief. Why? He's made me the faithful dog that I am. And no matter what may befall me, no matter what may come my way, even death, even death, there's nothing to fear in death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I wonder sometimes if we really believe that. No reason for a believer to fear death. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. The dogs that we are, more than conquerors through Him. There it is again, through Christ. Him that loved us. May God enable us to always remember that. Amen.